Welcome to Your Cathedral Podcast, a podcast from the Cathedral Church of St. Luke and St. Paul in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information on our church, please visit yourcathedral.org. Would you pray with me, please? Come, Holy Spirit, and make this real in our hearts that Jesus came to us as the Son of God, that Jesus came for us as the Son of God, that Jesus lives with us as the Son of God. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. It's a joy to be with you this morning. This is one of my favorite services of the whole year. So I actually begged to be able to be here this morning because I love this service so much. It's quiet, it's peaceful, and only a sound is heard occasionally. <laughs> and we love those sounds because they remind us of our Savior's birth. So I don't know about you, but I've been to Mepkin Abbey a few times to see the Christmas Crash Festival. How many of you have been there? It is a wonder to behold, isn't it? It's amazing to walk through both the outside displays that are larger than life and all those little displays inside. It's just beautiful. And people start buying tickets on October 1st. And if you don't get a ticket or you don't get invited with a group, you just don't get in. It's, it's a serious thing. A couple years ago when I went the first time, it was probably over 100 displays. I think this year maybe was around 50-something because they were themed in a certain, certain focus this year. But they are beautiful and amazing, and they depict the Christmas creche from all kinds of, of cultures. One of my favorites was actually before the birth. It's a, just Mary and Joseph on the way, and Mary is, as they say, very great with child. And Joseph is beside her, and they're walking. You can see they're striding. Joseph has his staff, and they both have great smiles on their faces. I don't know if that would have been true <laughs> on that trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem, but, but I love the joy that's in their faces. Or another very interesting one was the clamshells, you know, where they have all the different characters, but they're all different shells of different sizes. And the manger, the, the stable itself is driftwood, and then there's a... Um, a star, you know, starfish as the star above, above the manger. Or the other one that I thought was extremely unusual was made of Coke bottles. Did y'all see that one, any of you? Remember how they used to have names on Coke bottles? You know, they had Mary, and they had Joseph, and they were standing there, and then lying on its side was a can that said Jesus for Jesus, and then above the stable was another glass bottle that had the name Gabriel on it. I thought that was really clever. Or, I'm sorry, but the, my favorite one is probably going to scandalize you, but it's the hipster one. It has Mary and Joseph, and they're kneeling in the, in the stable, and baby Jesus is in a manger, and Joseph is on his knee, and he's taking a selfie of them. And then Mary has a cup of coffee in one hand, and she's giving the peace sign with the other hand. It's a little bit, you know, out there, right? And the wise men are arriving. They're all different nationalities. They have cool Christmas sweaters on. And they have Amazon boxes under their arms. And they're on segways. That's a very interesting one. But I have to say my all-time favorite Christmas crash 
is the traditional one that I display every year in my home. It was given to my late husband when he was just three years old from his godmother, Caroline. And on the box that it used to be contained in during the year, it said, Little Bobby's Christmas. That box has long since seen the recycling bin, but I always think about that when I put it out, and I just put it out this morning again to meditate on it as I was praying before our service this morning. What is it about this creche, about this Christmas nativity scene, this timeless portrayal of Jesus' nativity that draws us to pause and to gaze in wonder time after time and year after year? Pope Francis wrote a letter in 2019, and the English translation is enchanting image, which I just love. I can't read the Latin, so I'll give you the, the English part. But it's, he said this, the depiction of Jesus' birth is itself a simple and joyful proclamation of the mystery of the incarnation of the Son of God. The nativity scene is like a living gospel, rising up from the pages of scripture. And as we contemplate the Christmas story, we're invited to set out on a spiritual journey drawn by the humility of God who became man in order to encounter every man and every woman. And we come to realize that so great is his love for us that he became one of us so that we might turn and become one with him. In today's epistle, in the book of Titus, chapter 3, just three short chapters in that book, I commend it for your reading. We're on page 998 in the Bible in your pew, if you'd like to follow along, 998. But St. Paul is giving encouragement and instructions to his young associate, Titus whom he calls his true child in the common faith. And Paul is guiding Titus in his role as a spiritual leader of the Christian community on the island of Crete. It's a community that's fraught with many challenges. You know that because Paul says to Titus, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Reading between the lines, that says to me, there's a lot going on there that probably shouldn't be. <laughs> and so Titus is giving, being given instructions. And then Paul gives him a to-do list. Appoint trustworthy leaders. And here's their characteristics. Here's what they should look like. Go and put things in right order, Titus, and encourage them in good deeds. So if you start reading with chapter 3 at the bottom of 998, in those first few verses before our reading today, you get a little bit of a snapshot of, of the trouble that's going on in this Christian community. It's not an easy place to be. Paul says this, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice 
and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Titus has a pretty big job description, I think. And this is now what Paul says in our reading today. But when, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. When the love of God, when the kindness of God appeared, the goodness of God appeared. That word appeared is the same word as epiphany. It burst forth. It came into their lives, and they could not ignore it. It's there. It's a mercy on full display in the crash that we are always drawn to. God's tender love shown to all who behold that smiling babe with those extended arms, a smile that speaks of delight and of welcome as he gazes into our eyes, a babe with those extended arms who will also stretch out his arms on the hardwood of the cross so that all might come within the reach of his saving embrace. Our God, who so loved the world that he gave his only son, his son who forgives us and frees us from our sins, who seeks us out, when we are lost, lonely, or confused. God's love for us always precedes and follows us and calls out to us and reaches out to us. That's what love does. I think we're also drawn to God's life and love made manifest in the crush scene because we perceive Jesus' utter fragility, Jesus' vulnerability, a babe who's dependent on his mother for nurture and food, dependent on his heavenly, his earthly father too, for protection, for shelter, for teaching, for formation. Jesus is born in such humble surroundings to parents who are themselves vulnerable and poor. And those who first hear and receive the message of his birth are not the rich, are not the powerful, are not the religious but they are lowly shepherds who come at once and greet him and worship him, glorifying God and praising God for all they've heard and seen. And what have they seen? They've seen Jesus, gentle and humble in heart. And words again come from Pope Francis. Indeed, the poor are a privileged part of this mystery. Often they are the first to recognize God's presence in our midst. Those who suffer, those who know their own fragility, aren't aware of their need, are the very ones most drawn to Christ, who is one wounded by love and raised in love to new life. And so as our scripture today says, when the goodness and loving kindness of our God as Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us to be good enough to earn his love, to merit it, because we deserved it for some reason, but according to his own mercy. And how does he save us? He saves us by the washing of regeneration and renewal in the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Brothers and sisters, we are washed in the waters of baptism, 
And I happen to know some people here today who it's their baptismal anniversary. Certain family who's here today. Many of them were baptized on this day. We're filled with the Holy Spirit, invited to encounter the living God who is head over heels in love with us so that we might say yes to that ongoing relationship with him and with his body, the body of Christ, the Christian community, where we learn to walk in love and where we are held in love, where we are forgiven and how we are enabled to forgive ourselves and others because of the grace of forgiveness that is let loose in the world by the cross of Jesus Christ, where we are invited to come, to taste and see that the Lord is good, to feed on him in communion. He's the same one whose first bed was a feeding trough. He's the same one who said, I am the bread of life, who offered himself his very life as his as true drink for us. I watched people as they came to communion last night. It's always interesting to see how people receive Holy Communion. And so many hands were cupped like this. And all I could see whenever someone's hands were out like this was the manger where Jesus Christ was laid, the bread of life for us. And it brought me to tears at points as I was giving communion to people. Because I kept thinking, there's Jesus, there's Jesus, there's Jesus. They're receiving him. They're making room for him. It's so beautiful. I believe as we contemplate the life offered us in the crash scene, we somehow sense and know by God's grace this great gift of God's goodness, his loving kindness, his tenderness, his welcome, forgiveness, healing, and nurturing. That's what keeps drawing us back to peer into that crash every year. In the year of 1223, exactly 800 years ago this day, 1223, 800 years ago this day, a little poor man by the name of Francis was returning from a pilgrimage to the Holy Land and to Rome. And he had just met with the Pope to receive official approval for his order. And so he was coming back home, and he, he was coming back home to form this community with his brothers officially, and they would be called Franciscans after him. They had a very simple rule of life or way of life, to live simply in community and to preach the good news, to be the good news for the world. And Francis, I guess, was inspired by living in the caves around Bethlehem and seeing those spaces. And when he came home, he looked at that mountain cave in Greccio, near where he lived, and he said, that's the place. He wanted to make a space where Jesus could come and actually be seen and felt and touched and known through what he described, and, and it became a living nativity where they enacted that first nativity. And so with help from some of the townspeople, they gathered all the, the animals and the straw and the, the setting and a Mary and a Joseph and a baby. And when the townspeople lit their torches and they came up the mountain and they came into that cave and that area, they were just so spellbound as they looked again into that birth of Jesus. 
And Francis was overjoyed to see it all take place. And the, his biographer says that he was moved to tears as he sang the gospel, as he chanted it. And then as he preached, tears just flowed from his eyes all the way down his face. He couldn't stop crying for joy, for the joy of our Savior's birth, and to see people encounter the Savior and be touched and moved by him as a tangible, visible, real as possible God among us. Francis' hope in recreating this scene, complete with all of Mary and Joseph and the animals and everything, was that people would experience firsthand the goodness and loving kindness of our Savior. And he brought that to mind. He brought it to life right before them. And after Francis preached, the priest then solemnly celebrated the Eucharist over the manger, showing the bond between the incarnation of the Son of God and the Eucharist. Now, Francis was not the first person to have this idea of enacting, but it seems like since then that has taken off. And every year somewhere, and next Sunday here, we will enact that again in our Christmas pageant because we're drawn to it because we see the love of God on display for us. In the city of Bethlehem this year, the exact place on earth of the first nativity, there are no tourists. There's no manger square this year. There's no Christmas tree. It would seem Christmas has been canceled there, at least all the usual festivities. There's a Franciscan friar who helps to keep that place, and he said this, it's impossible to celebrate when so many on both sides of the Israel-Hamas war have lost so much. We canceled the festivities as a sign of solidarity with the victims of the war. But we still celebrate Christmas with a mass. We need the Christmas message more than ever, the peace and the love of God come among us. The Lutheran pastor, Pastor Isaac in Bethlehem, has set up a small crash just in the chapel of his church. It's not the usual nativity that we think of, but one where the baby Jesus is placed amid flickering candles atop a pile of busted cement and dirty stone. And pastor Isaac said, this is what Christmas looks like in Palestine. If Jesus was born today, he would be born in Gaza amid the rubble. Jesus would be born also with those hostages still in tunnels. Jesus would be born right there where people were shot and taken captive. All the places, all the war-torn places, the Ukraine, everywhere, Jesus would be present right there and be born in that space because that's where he comes to those most in need. The nativity scene reminds us that wherever we are this Christmas tide, in whatever condition we find our families, our neighbors, our workplaces, our churches, our war-torn world, whatever the condition or state of our own soul, right there, amid our poverty, our chaos, our brokenness, our fractured and festive families, in our loss, in our loneliness, in our lavish feasting and celebrating, there is Jesus born once again.
taking on our flesh, coming to be the with us God, coming to save us with new birth, the washing of the word, with the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit. As we just sang this morning, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. This is our God. And so we offer ourselves to him, our souls and bodies, as an act of worship this day. And as we behold him, as we hold him, he also holds us and is God with us. Amen.